The following contains content that is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. The Devil and Mrs. Tremblay Written by Craig Moody Narrated by Jessica Caruso Six Two weeks later Nearly a month after asking me to leave, Edgar arrived for supper at the Jeffersons. It was clear this unannounced visit had been arranged prior by either Molly or Bill. My money was on Molly. Hi, Edith, Edgar said softly, a slight smile forming over his lips. It's good to see you. I could only stare in return. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. Why are you here, Edgar? I finally managed to choke out. Supper, he nervously replied. And I waited. And what? I asked, impatience gripping my tone. And I wanted to see you. I wanted to ask you back home. I miss you, Edith. I can't live without you. Then why have you ignored my letters, Edgar? Why did you ask me to leave in the first place? Why have you left me over here like some throwed-away stray dog? I watched Edgar's eyes swirl in confusion. Even I was surprised at my own aggression and straightforwardness. My lack of notice of his arrival had allowed me no time to form a more careful and even-keeled response. Instead, my hurt and anger took control of my tongue. Molly stepped in from the nearby kitchen. Come on, you two, she said in a sing-song voice. Time for supper! Molly dominated the dinner conversation, obviously trying to avoid the tension in the room. Bill just focused on his plate. Edgar listened to Molly but continually eyeballed me all throughout the nearly hour-long meal. I would return his glance but kept a cold and distant demeanor. I wasn't sure how I felt about this. A part of me knew I had deserved to be asked to leave. I had boldly and openly cheated on my husband, but another side of me was upset and angry about having been ignored and discarded so easily. I forced myself to be more logical and less emotional and decided it was best to go home with my husband. Molly helped me tidy my room. I'm happy about this, she declared, assisting me in folding her grandmother's home-sewn quilt. You're always welcome here anytime, but your place is with Edgar. You should be glad he's forgiven you and asking you back home. I didn't say anything. In response, I simply smiled and thanked her for her hospitality and moved to meet Edgar on the front porch. The four of us chatted quickly, and Edgar and I said our goodbyes. I thanked Bill for all he had done for me and followed Edgar into the darkness of the night and back toward our home. It would be my first time back in a month. I'm sure you heard... Edgar finally said, breaking the tangible silence between us. Heard what? I asked. Joe left, ran off, can't find him. 
even as folks don't know where he is. At least they tell me they don't. They're certain he will show back up in a few days or so. He needs the money, and I'm the only farmer willing to pay for a hand. I felt my heart flutter at just the mention of Joe's name. And what are you going to do? I queried, suddenly concerned for my husband and his ability to harvest our land in time. I ain't sure, he finally said after a long pause. Bill is arranging for some Negro boys to come by tomorrow. They work cheap. I'm hoping they'll agree to help me clear the crops. We only have a week at best. In the darkness, I reached for Edgar's hand. He hesitated, but eventually placed his fingers between mine. We stayed that way until we made it home. No one ever came to help Edgar. There was no other choice than for me to attempt to help him with the harvest. I followed him through the fields, working until my hands cracked and bled and my back ached so much I could barely stand straight. After a week of endless labor, Edgar finally admitted defeat. We can only salvage half, he stated. The rest will rot and wither before we ever get to it. I felt fear as I watched his mouth quiver and tears stream down his dirt-covered face. I had never seen him so terrified before. I accompanied Edgar to the crop sale. It was the first time I had ever traveled this far from the farm. In my entire life, I had never left Cimarron County. The sale was brisk. Our annual income less than half of what it had been the year before, both due to the loss of nearly half the harvest and because of the poor conditions of the ground. As the merciless drought continued, the soil only provided in a poor and limited way. Edgar was silent as we journeyed home. He didn't speak again for days. From what I assume was nerves, physical labor, and pure stress, I became ill. The mornings were the worst. I would wake up nauseous. Still, I tended to Edgar's breakfast and watched him as he walked off into the fields. He was busy preparing the farm for winter. We both never said it, but we knew this would be the longest, cruelest winter of our lives, I dreaded each day as it came and went. I cursed the sun for rising and falling. After two weeks of nonstop nausea and odd bouts of vomiting and back pain, Edgar fetched Molly. How do your bosoms feel? She asked, joining me at the kitchen table where I attempted to sip some lukewarm broth. Soa, I replied without looking up, both grateful and annoyed at her presence. Everything is sore. My entire body is nothing but sore. I ain't never worked so hard in my life as I've worked these past few weeks. Poor Edgar must feel this way all the time. I think you're a child, Edith, Molly stated plainly. You got the same twinkle in your eye as my sister Maybelle, She's had enough children for me to have seen it and recognize it. I know what I see. You having a baby. I dropped my spoon and lifted my eyes. 
That's impossible, Molly, I refuted. Edgar and I have tried to have a baby for nigh on sixteen or so years. It ain't never happened. It ain't happening now, neither. I mean, unless some miracle of... I froze. Joe. That night in the barn. I couldn't recall his climax. I couldn't recall if he had pulled himself from me in time. I... Oh, my God, I heard myself whisper. It's that boy's, ain't it? Mala asked, pulling her chair closer to the table. I know you was with him again. I looked up. What do you mean? In my barn, she confirmed. I saw you sneak out there, and I saw him follow you in there a little while later. I just never said anything is all. But I saw what I saw. Molly pursed her lips in judgment. Surprisingly, she didn't say more. What am I going to do, Molly? I squeaked, a surge of panic and uncertainty racing through my entire being. What will Edgar say? He will say he is excited to finally be a father, Molly responded. God's miracles know no time frame. But I stopped myself. I hadn't been with Edgar in that way in at least three months. He had long gone soft even before our month-long split. The only man I had been with in recent times was Joe. Oddly, although I tried, I could not remember the specific details of the night in the barn. Still, I knew this baby was his. I barely made it to the sink to vomit up the broth. Edgar wept when I told him the news. At first, I assumed his tears were that of hurt and rage, but to my complete shock, he grabbed me by the waist and twirled me in the air. Praise the Lord, he shouted. I'm finally gonna be a daddy. I couldn't help but cry with him, both out of fear and forced joy. The winter drew near. The days were gray and windless, the nights long and chilled. When the first flakes of snow hit the ground, they melted, gone before the sun would rise. But by mid-December, they remained even at the height of noon. Soon the entire property was blanketed. The blinding white rolled on for miles. Edgar was busy building a rocking chair and crib. He had cut some extra timber for the project. I would look on and smile at the progress, but my stomach would always end up in knots. I knew, without a single doubt, that my pregnancy absolutely could not be due to Edgar. We had spent over a decade trying, and his recent impotency guaranteed either the bastard child of Joe D'Angelo or the world's second immaculate conception. I was quite certain it wasn't the latter. Edgar was now out of his shell. Despite the hard year and the nearly fruitless harvest, he had a sense of joy and contentment about him. For the first time in years, he hummed along to the sounds of the opera each night as we settled near the radio. I had started sewing some baby clothes. 
Nothing specific nor decorative, just some plain, sizeless scraps. I felt disconnected from my body. My mind floated in some higher realm than the rest of me. Molly would visit at least twice a week. Together, we would plan the details of the birth. Molly had already phoned Madison Jenkins, the county midwife. She was on call for my eventual labor, which by crude calculation should take place in early spring. Molly and Edgar were far more excited for the arrival of the being inside me. I simply went along with it, unsure and unwavering in my despondency. I had started to dream long, cryptic dreams of Joe, the devil, even the storm Molly had so often spoken of. Since she realized my pregnancy, Molly no longer mentioned her cards, the storm, or her ability to see my future. Perhaps my destruction of her devil tarot card had ruined her deck. Perhaps without it she could no longer peek into the future through the window of her cards. Joe never spoke in my dreams. He would only stare. The nightmares would always wake me. I would shuffle from the bed and to the window. Once, deep in the night, not long after the witching hour, I thought I saw someone far in the distance, just near the barbed wire fence that separated the Jefferson property from ours. I squinted to see better through the moonlit night. The white snow made it easy to see for miles, especially when the moon was at least half full. The figure was broad and tall, very tall. In fact, it was the tallest person I had ever seen. The more I squinted, the better I could see it. Finally, just as I could squint my eyes no more, it disappeared, almost as if it had never been there at all. The next day, I trekked the distance between the farmhouse to the end of the lot. I wanted to see the area near the fence. I wanted to find evidence of the figure. My mind settled and my nerves eased as I made it to the fence line. Nothing but snow. I turned to return to the house when something caught the corner of my eye. I turned my head to see prints. Footprints. Large and distinct. I peered closer. They were animal prints. Bird-like. I gasped as I recognized them as claws. Giant claws. I couldn't imagine what sort of creature could have left such large, bird-like footprints. I dreaded the very idea of it. I ran and I didn't stop until I made it safely into the house. Christmas of 1934 was the best we had in years. Edgar had built or carved an array of baby toys. For me, he made a necklace of shiny copper wire. On the end was a handcrafted pendant. It said, Mother. I smiled and nodded as he eagerly clasped it around my neck. Later, as I stood in front of the bathroom's faded and chipped-looking glass... I vomited. Per tradition, Bill and Mala joined us for Christmas dinner. Edgar was joyful and almost bubbly the entire time. I chatted mindlessly with Molly. I did my best to appear normal despite the churning in my belly. That night, 
after Bill and Molly had long gone and the embers of the fireplace had long cooled, I found myself at the window again, staring into the darkness toward the area where I had seen the figure and later the claw prints. Tonight, the sky was black and moonless. I couldn't even see the stars. Just as I turned to return to the bed, I saw them, the red glowing balls floating in the air. Edgar! I screamed, my voice piercing even the iciness of the room. Edgar sat straight up, his eyes sleep wary and wide. What is it? He gasped, fumbling under the bed for his shotgun. Look! Edgar stumbled toward the window, the barrel of his old shotgun scraping the glass pane. What, Edith? He asked, squinting his eyes to see better. There ain't nothing out there but snow. I focused my eyes back in the direction of the glowing balls, but they were gone. Vanished. I saw something. I whispered, my fearful heartbeat throbbing inside my brain. I saw some red lights just floating there, just above the fence. It looked like two fireballs just resting in the air. Edgar continued to squint, struggling to see what I was so easily detailing. Ain't nothing there, Edith, he snuckered. You're just tired from all the excitement of today. You always did love Christmas. I closed my eyes as Edgar kissed my forehead and led me back to bed. My eyes rested on the cold metal of the shotgun as he worked to bury me beneath the heavy blankets before returning to his side of the bed. I heard him prop the shotgun next to the bedpost, as opposed to sliding it back under the bed frame. He was keeping it handy just in case. I struggled to sleep. Each time I would drift, the red fireballs would appear in my soft, faded mind. Little did I know I would see them in my sleep every single night to come. We went to the Jeffersons for New Year's Eve. They had invited several neighbors, many of whom I had not seen in at least four or five years. I chatted openly with everyone. Molly made sure to announce my pregnancy to the world, so I took in more tips and advice from the various mothers in the room, solicited or otherwise. Edgar kissed me on the lips when the clock struck midnight. He wrapped his arms around me and pulled me close to his body. His embrace was warm and comforting. I closed my eyes and fell into the moment. I love you, Edith, he whispered in my ear. I have never stopped loving you. I saw a tear twinkle in the corner of his eye as he pulled me back to view my face. I smiled as he kissed me again. The room around us was loud and celebratory. All of the couples kissed, the children whooped and hollered their excitement of the dawning of yet another new year. 1935 was here. The winter dragged on slower than any I could recall. 
My belly was growing. The baby was moving and kicking. It would keep me up half the night. I would find myself beside the bedroom window searching desperately for the floating fireballs. I didn't see them again for weeks. When they did appear again, they were closer than they had been in the past. I tried with all my might to see them better. I pressed my face against the glass, intent on focusing my eyes until I could get a better understanding of what this was. Just as my skin had begun to react to the frozen touch of the window, my vision cleared enough for me to see the shape of the head, huge and narrow. I gasped when the horns became clear. I dashed back to the bed and buried myself beneath the covers. The baby squirmed and kicked more than ever that night. I didn't mention what I had seen to Edgar. Even still, he kept the shotgun propped beside the bed. He never slid it back under the bed frame. I didn't ask him why. I was glad it was there. One Sunday afternoon, unexpectedly, Brother Tom showed up. I just wanted to stop by to see how everything was going he announced as he shuffled snow from his hat and coat. Once settled in the kitchen, he began detailing the goings-on of the other neighbors and church folk. The current winter had kept most indoors, so Brother Tom found himself venturing the community in order to see his congregation. He waited until Edgar had excused himself to the washroom before speaking to me privately. "'How you feeling, darling?' he asked, placing his hands over mine. Nervously, I pulled away and pressed my back against the kitchen chair. Fine, I answered, allowing my eyes to tour the contents of the table. Brother Tom enjoyed a cup of hot apple cider I had heated for him. We still didn't have a percolator. Edgar never did know I had tossed eyes down the old abandoned well. Are you excited about being a mama? He continued, keeping his eyes locked on mine. Yes, I replied, suddenly uneasy. It's truly a miracle that the Lord has blessed you after all these years. I know you and Edgar have been trying for a baby for a long time. I looked up as the pastor sat back in his seat. It's just strange it all occurred after your infidelity. I felt my eyes water in frustration. Just goes to show how forgiven our Savior really is. I smiled and nodded, eager for him to end this conversation. Edgar returned and the three of us chatted politely until the preacher finally ended his visit. Edgar put his arm around my shoulder as we stood side by side watching Brother Tom drive off the property. In my silence, I secretly prayed he would never return. The ground was poor and the wood was rotten. The chickens had all been consumed. We were starting to go hungry. Edgar went to town to stock up. We were both tired of the brothy bean soup I was fixing night after night. Never had we been so limited. I thought about Joe while Edgar went to town, 
I found myself alone in our bed, my fingers exploring my body as the memories of Joe's touch invaded my brain. Edgar and I hadn't made love in months. My growing belly made me uncomfortable, and I think he was afraid our love-making would somehow harm or disturb the baby, so he never pressured me for anything. Plus, as far as I knew, he was still having an issue getting things going for himself. So night after night, we lay in cold silence. Now, though, I climaxed several times from my daydreams of Joe. Hi, I'm Craig Moody, and I want to thank you for listening to Craig Moody's Novel Bites. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when the latest episodes are released. Print and digital editions of my previous titles are available through all major retailers. For more information or for links to my social media, please visit craig-moody.com. Until next time.